you would please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. There's an old story about a happy little boy who went into the field wearing a baseball cap. In one hand, he carried a baseball. In the other, a baseball bat. His face bore a look of tremendous confidence. Cocking his bat back and holding that baseball in one hand, he turned his hat backwards and he threw that ball up and he swung. And when he swung, the ball fell and he went, Strike! I'm the greatest batter in the world. Well, he picked that ball back up and he looked at that bat and he turned it just a little bit and he said, I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he threw that ball up. And when he went to hit it, strike two. Well, the young man started to get discouraged. So he looked at the bat and he thought, is there a hole in here? Why am I missing that ball? So the little guy picks up that ball again. And he looks at the ball and he gets all ready. And as he's concentrating, he's thinking, I am the greatest batter in the world. So, slow motion, you like this? He throws that ball up and he hits it to make a grand slam and strike! And he just bowed his head, picked up the ball, said, wow! And he cried, what a pitcher! I'm the greatest pitcher in the world! Today is the last Sunday of the year. And as we look back over the last 12 months, I'm not sure whether most of us would consider pitchers or batters how we look at the whole picture. One thing for sure, at times we have all struck out. So I guess it's good to be able to start over afresh. And next week, most boys and girls will return to the classrooms. A lot of young people will head back to college. Everybody will be back into the routine of things as you're back into... Uh, work and, and doing the, the things that you do after the busy activities of the Christmas season as we all recover and then head into the activities of the new year. So what are you anticipating for this year? Are you full of enthusiasm, looking forward eagerly to what each day will bring, or are you filled with a sense of dread, worried that this year will be worse than the last year was for you? Like the little boy with the bat, may I suggest that your attitude and your frame of mind, your reaction to its events will largely determine whether this year is a year of victory or it is a year of defeat. I know that there's so many preachers around that preach prosperity gospel, and I have to say I sometimes like it. For so many, they put it down and say, I don't believe they speak that way. Well, let's wake up every day. For a child of God and a child of the Most High God, we should have a level of expectancy. Thank you. I think we wake up and swing around out of bed going, oh no, 2014, are we actually going to be able to do it this year? And uh, there's always obstacles and circumstances, but I want you to stop for just, just a minute and think about your circumstances, what you're going through, how you're going to overcome it, and what you're going to do to face the new year. Moving forward and facing this new year. I just want all of you to know that 
that God really wants to do something great in and through your life if you'll just surrender to Him. And you'll change your attitude and your frame of mind. The Apostle Paul was never one to let circumstances conquer him. Rather, with the help of God, he was determined to win the victor's crown. Listen as his attitude, his dedication, and determination shine through in these words found in Philippians chapter 3. It says this in verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, uh, they were already perfect, but I follow after, if that... I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, listen, brothers, I count myself. I consider not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. And I love as the choir sings and the great verse that we all quote many times throughout our year to keep us going. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. With Paul's words fresh in our minds, this morning here are some suggestions to help us be all that we can be this year. One, recognize the value of time. Two, don't be in bondage to the past. And three, we need to establish a priority in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your spirit. And Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you'll speak through me this morning. Father, I also ask that hearts will be receptive and our mind will be focused. And Lord, will be able to understand with clarity the importance of serving you. Knowing you, having a relationship with you. And Father God, may we put aside ourself and listen intently to what you have to share with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. First of all, recognize the value of time. Listen closely, because I'm going to give you a lot of figures this morning, a lot of math, and see if you, you can figure it out yourself, but I think it's very interesting. How do we value one year? Ask a student who failed a grade. Two, how do we value one month? Ask a mother whose baby arrived prematurely. How do we value one week? Editors of the weekly newspapers know. And your pastor knows. That's how I value a week. It seems like every time I turn around, and I have to say, I really respect so many ministers and pastors that are out there that preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and they're also doing a Sunday school class. That's phenomenal. Because that's a lot of studying and a lot of time gets put into that. And, and I just really uh, honor and respect those men for their, their level of commitment and faithfulness. I know for myself, I wish I could say, uh, you know, we used to have Wednesday night classes here and then I would, we would do a program or go through a book or whatever. But, uh, you know, I don't have, I'm going to go through the Bible in 52 weeks of the year. And, you know, these are my, my messages. I pray about it and I really do see the Lord work through invitation uh, and through the time of reflection as people are moved. So I want to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work. But i got to tell you, one week goes by real quick sometimes. I'm like, Lord, you haven't spoken to me. What am I going to teach, you know, Sunday? And so I always appreciate um, him continually to use me just as a vessel for him and a mouthpiece to continue to, to uh, speak his word. How do we value one hour? Ask someone who lies terminally ill waiting for a loved one who is late. How do we value one minute? Ask someone who missed a plane, a train, a very important engagement that would never be rescheduled. How do we value one second? Ask Olympic medalist. 
or someone who just missed having an accident or someone saying goodbye to a loved one, they will never, ever see again. Of course, we know that time is a human invention, and I'm convinced that God doesn't wear a wristwatch or does he use a calendar. The Bible says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as of one day, found in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. God deals with eternity, and therefore time is not an important factor with him. But we make it an important factor, don't we? All of us do. But time is important to us because we live in a limited time frame. We begin with infancy, then go on to adolescence, and then into adulthood, middle age, and then we arrive to the glorious old age and everything that follows. We measure life in segments of time. Now, what makes something valuable? Oftentimes, it's scarcity. If there is a scarcity, then that product quickly escalates in value, doesn't it? How many of you ever bought and sold stuff on Craigslist? Come on, admit it. Uh, what's the other one? eBay. Okay, more hands are up. We all do it. Don't you notice that if there's so few, it becomes so much money? It's, it's amazing to me. If something is rare, it has usual valuable or a value to it. But we have a lot of it. It loses its value. Now, the same is true with time. Let me show you. Maybe that helps explain the generation gap. Young people feel that they have plenty of time. Therefore, time loses its value to them. And they aren't too concerned about wasting or squandering it. Isn't it amazing? I remember back when I was a teenager. How is it you can sleep till 11 o'clock? Teenagers don't even work. I mean, they can just sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep some more. And why is it that my body wakes up a quarter after six and I go, oh, I better hurry up because if I sleep till 7.15, I'm not going to get done what I need to get done today. But teenagers can just sleep and enjoy life like they've got it all together and they don't have to worry about it. I know that for me, I value my time. As we get up there in years a bit, we begin to realize that our time is becoming rare and therefore it does become more valuable to us. So those of us over 40 tend to look at those under 20. See, I, I could have said like 50 or 60, 70, 80, 90 or something like that, but I decided to throw my age in there this morning. Those over 40 tend to look at those under 20 and say, don't squander time because it's valuable. And they reply, nah, it's not. We have lots of time, so we can waste it in any way we want. Isn't it true? They don't understand just the importance of time and, and wider the age gap, the wider generation gap, because of the different values that we place on time. So many of us see that. The Bible often speaks of the brevity of life. It compares life to weavers shuttle rapidly, going back and forth to the shadows of summer that quickly disappear to grass, which grows up, dies, and then is burned. That's our life, all in a very, very short amount of time. I like what the psalmist says in Psalms. 8 verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? Listen closely. You guys will love this. And I know I have a lot of statistics and stuff this morning. And, but I want you to listen closely because putting all this in reference for me really made me think about my time and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, as I look back over the year, have I really spent the time that I needed with the Lord? And once I read these statistics, 
you and I will both sit in awe of just how much little time we spent serving the Lord. A statistician tells us that the average life is 76 years of age. If you're under 30, then you think that it is a long time. But if you're nearing that age, you're beginning to realize that that's not really very long at all. Watch. Here's some interesting statistics. Someone went to the trouble to research what people do with their time and came up with these results. If we live to be 75, most of us will have spent three solid years, 24 hours a day, acquiring an education from grade school, high school, and college. We'll have spent seven years eating, 24 hours a day, some less and some more, obviously. We'll have spent 14 years, day and night, working, We'll have spent five years riding in automobiles or airplanes. We'll have spent five years talking with each other again, some more and some less. We'll have spent one year sick or recovering from sickness. And get this, we'll have spent 24 years of our life sleeping. Isn't that amazing? We'll have spent three years reading books, magazines, and newspapers, and 12 years amusing ourselves watching TV, going to the movies, fishing, or any other extracurricular activity you might have. That totals up to 75 years, and that is what the researchers say on the average most of us will have done with our lives. As I looked at these statistics, I began thinking, Let's suppose that you spent every Sunday of your life for 75 years through infancy, childhood, adulthood, old age, in God's house, worshiping during the church service. Watch. Now, if you did that, how much time would you have spent worshiping God? Figure it out, and the answer is less than five and a half months. Isn't that a pondering thought? But let's double that because you've attended discipleship class or a Sunday school class. You've never missed Sunday school in all of your life. That makes you worshiping God for 11 months of your lifetime. Think about that five years in an automobile and just 11 months in church. 12 years amusing ourselves in front of a TV and just 11 months in church in ABFs or adult Bible fellowships or Sunday school classes. And that is just if you always attended both of them and never missed. Isn't that amazing? That tells us just a little bit about the brevity of time. It also tells us something about our priorities in life, doesn't it? The Bible also teaches us that life is uncertain. And time is like a valuable commodity in a very precious and delicate vessel. It might break at any moment and we might lose it all. So we have this moment. We don't know anything about the future, but we have this moment and that is all that we have. In James chapter 4, verse 14, it reads, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then what? Vanisheth away. Because of the uncertainty of Life. The Bible also says now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Hebrews 3.15 says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because life is uncertain, we must take advantage of the time that we have. 
I love that he says, brothers, consider, consider this. Our life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And as I sat in my study last evening and I thought this, I actually got all choked up and it's even moved me even this morning because I think, oh God, if you look at life as one day is a thousand years, I've spent about 30 seconds praising you. How, how disappointing is that to him? How awful is that? I mean, you know, he is the guy that we do walk up to the mantle and take off and dust off. And when we need something special, we go to him. And to think we only give him 11 months a year because we can't be faithful, committed, because our earthly vessel, this life, continues to take up his time. People say to me, well, Pastor, I get a lot from St. Mattress. I said, well, continue to be there when you need him. I don't know that he'll be by St. Mattress. I love that he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you know, I, I love coming to church. I anticipate, I wake up, I've already had my prayer time this morning, sat in my prayer room, studied, read the word, and there's just so much I want to share with you. There's just never enough time. But I always say, Todd, just stick with your notes. That's the Holy Spirit steers you this way, and sometimes I go that direction. But there's just, I just want our church to be excited. No matter what you are, if you can strike somebody out or if you can hit a home run, no matter where you're at in your life, you can move forward. Because that's what God wants for your life. Value your time. Value your time with Him daily. Let's look at this. Secondly, don't be in bondage to the past. We are special beings and that God has given us the ability to do what? To remember. Your memory may be your friend or... It may be your enemy. When you remember, hopefully you'll remember some very pleasant things about this past year. But chances are that you'll also remember some negative things. In fact, sometimes we dwell upon the negative and begin to feel sorry for ourselves, don't we? And it's easy to do that. Maybe this past year was a time of transition in your life. The kids grew up. Maybe somebody got married. Maybe someone left home and now you're trying to deal with the empty nest syndrome. Maybe your job came to an end and you're having a tough time making ends meet. Maybe a loved one died and you're trying to deal with the lingering grief and loneliness you feel. Maybe it was a time when sin got a real hold in your life and you now feel the burden of guilt and the guilt of that sin. What I want you to see this morning is that all of this can cripple us and hold us in bondage to the past. That is why Paul said... Forgetting what is behind. Paul had a lot to forget. Paul had a shaky past. He gets it. Watch. He persecuted the church. He used his authority to kill Christians. By his own admission. Here's what he said. I am the chief of sinners. He could have walked around all of his life with this tremendous burden of guilt crippling him. And he would never have become the great apostle we know and that we love today. But Paul said this, forgetting those things that are behind. In other words, here's what he was saying. God, I commit to you. I seek your forgiveness for all of the sins of my past. And look forward to what lies ahead. And right now, today, this very minute, I'm going to do the best I can and to live my life for you. I believe that's good advice for all of us, wouldn't you think? 
Isn't it, isn't it amazing, amazing? I mean, we can go into some deep theological uh, message this morning, but sometimes I see the simplicity of God's Word just come to life. And third, and last, finally, I think that we need to establish a priority in our lives. Let me say that again. I think we need to establish a priority in our lives. Paul says it this way. This thing I do. Now, if you don't have it underlined or circled, I'd like you to do that. Because he said, this is what I do. Now, Paul obviously did more than one thing. He made tents, he preached sermons, and he established churches. He healed the sick, he wrote books, and he did a lot of other different things. But he did say, the top priority in my life is that I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. He kept going on. How many of you would say, you know what, Pastor, it has been difficult. Paul knew the difficulties. He persecuted Christians and then became persecuted himself. And if you think that we're not far away from being persecuted, you need to open up your papers, turn on your computer, flip the TV on, which we don't flip anymore, we click the TV on, and you'll start to notice some things are changing in America. Christians are changing. Amen, preacher. They are. Man, Brother Steve did a great job about conflict resolution this morning in discipleship class. Brother, that was amazing. I love Matthew 18. I hate conflict. Matter of fact, I just hate it with a passion. Stab my eyeballs out with a pencil. I don't know. I just hate conflict. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But one thing that I've learned about conflict is that we mature through it. And it's called reconciliation. And so, you know, as we look at time and we look at the priority of time, we need to realize that we need to continue to keep moving on and make sure that whatever we go through in life, Christians, listen, that we do the best we can. Let's love people, uphold one another. Let's show grace where grace is needed and deserved. You know, my thought is this. If times are changing and Christians show less grace, so if I show less grace to my brother, that means when I need the grace, that brother isn't going to show me any grace. Amen, preacher. Right? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, it does. We don't want to show forgiveness and grace to somebody because we love it. We love the bitterness that just curls right up inside of us and strangles us. That's what we love about it. But listen, Christians, if you're going to make Christ a priority this year, then remember, love one another, forgive one another, get through it. Man, move forward. It's a happy new year. You're going to celebrate through it. All right, enough of that advertisement. A while back, an expert on the subject of time management, when he was speaking to a group of business students, here's what he said. After speaking to them for a while, he said this. Okay, it's time for a quiz. He set one gallon, wide-mouthed mason jar on the table in front of him. Then he produced a dozen flat or fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time inside this jar. When the jar was filled to the top and no more rocks would fit inside, he asked, Is this jar full? And everyone in the classroom said, what? Yes, it is full. He said, really? He said, then he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. He dumped some gravel into the jar and shook it, causing pieces of the gravel to do what? 
to work themselves down into the spaces between the what? The big rocks. Then he smiled and asked the group once more, is the jar full? By this time, the class was on to him, and they all said, probably not. Good, he replied, and he reached under the table and brought out a bucket of sand. He started dumping the sand in, and it filled the spaces between what? The rocks and the gravel. Once more, he asked, is this jar full? And what do you think the class said? No, thank you. The class shouted. Again, he said, good. (laughs) Then he grabbed a pitcher of water and began to pour it in. Pour the water into the jar until it was filled to the brim. I love this. Then he looked back at the class and asked, what is the point of this illustration? One eager beaver raised his hand and said, the point is no matter how full your schedule is, if you try really hard, you can always fit something more into it. No, said the speaker as he replied, that's not the point. The truth to this illustration teaches us this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. If you don't put the things that are priority in first, you'll never get to them at all. Do you get it? What are the big rocks of your life? They should include these. Each day drawing nearer to God. Spending time with Him in prayer. And seeking His guidance as you live out your life daily. In his word. Remember to put these big rocks in first and you'll never get them at all. It was Jesus who said this, what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He wants you to prioritize your life. And I'm going to conclude with this thought. We've just gone through another Christmas season in which the world was reminded again that what? God so loved the world that he sent us his one and only, his begotten son. In his love, God offered us the most wonderful gift that we could ever receive. An old beggar woman, she ran out of money. She couldn't pay her rent. She couldn't pay any of her bills. The landlord had threatened to throw her out if she didn't soon pay her rent. She had only a candle to keep her warm, and on Christmas Day, she warmed her hands over the candle. There was a knocking at her door, and she was afraid to answer for fear that it was the landlord coming in to kick her out or to evict her. She blew out her candle and sat quietly in the dark and waited for that intruder to leave. Two weeks later, she found out that the knocking on her door was the knock of a friend who would come over to bring her enough money to pay her rent and to pay her debts. I wonder how many, listen closely, from time to time, have heard the gentle knock of the Savior who wants so much to come in and be free from the burdens of your sin. But they have ignored his knocking. Jesus says what? I stand at the door and knock. This morning, God's invitation is offered to any and to all. All who would accept Him and receive Him as the Lord of their lives. You see, He came as a baby in a manger. But today, we acknowledge Him as our Redeemer. And this morning, He patiently waits for you.
I just want to bring to reference, he says this, I can't not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. This morning, when was the last time that you actually said, Oh God, I need you. I surrender my all. I'm going to press forward. This year is going to be a year. Get off of your whiny pride, your selfishness. You know what? The Lord might be coming back tomorrow. One thing that really convicts me as a pastor and has convicted me since I was a little boy, I was, called to, I was saved at 9, baptized at 13, called to preach at 15. And even though I look back on those years, I've always thought, is God pleased with me? I'm not saying with this church. I'm asking, is God pleased with me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Is God pleased with me? And this year, if you were to lay all that you have on the altar, and you said, just like the old-fashioned hymnal says, just as I am without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me. If you're to move forward and you're to say, you know, God, I'm going to put 2013 behind me and to think, Lord, I only give you 11 months of my whole life. That's one year. I've heard people say, Pastor, better be happy. I go to church 26 weeks out of the year. Well, you're not making me happy. If you're not here, it's only God that should affect your life. Listen, church, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, I love seeing you. I love when you're here. I look forward to I know when you're not here. But I have to say, I anticipate the time we get to worship together. And maybe this year, when you start to think about you only get to give God 11 months, that's if, that's if. You come to discipleship class and you come to the worship service. Think about not even worshiping him any other time. It's a pondering thought, isn't it? It's amazing when you think about it. Well, this morning I hope you can walk away saying, Lord, I'm going to come just as I am. I'm going to lay it all on the altar that was sacrificed for me and for you so that we can all become better. I want a church, listen, I always picture myself standing at the, at the gates and all around me I see the many faces and lives that have been touched. I know there are some that have come to New Hope that are gone. Then God's called them into other ministries or wherever they're at or whatever they're doing. But I still love them and I care for them. And all I want is to see them in the same crowd and to see all the many faces that were touched because all of us did our life, did our time, did everything we could for Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning's a time of reflection for you where you have to say, you know what, preacher, you're right. I've, my priorities are way out of whack. They're, my priorities are out of line. And this morning, as Paul said, remember, press on towards that mark. There's a great prize awaiting you. If all we did serve the Lord is that too much to ask if all we did was serve the Lord is that too much to ask pondering thought will you come as we stand and as the praise team comes I just want you to come just as you are just give your life to him forgetting what's behind and pressing on let's pray father we thank you for this morning we thank you for the simplicity of your word 
And Lord, we thank you that all of us can realize that you went to the cross and you died for us. Thank you for this wonderful Christmas season for that baby who came lying in a manger to give us the hope of eternity. Father God, you sent your only son to die on a cross. And Lord, we have so many difficulties in this earthly life. Oh God, help us to release it. And Lord, to, to live a life that Lord we can, we can be renewed and refreshed and know that, man, it's great serving God. Lord, forgive us. For as you look at our time what, and how limited that it is, Lord, would you help us to just give more of our life and more of our time and to prioritize in ways that, Lord, will reflect you a part of our schedule. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's persistency. Lord, when he was on the Damascus Road and when he came to know who you are, oh God, it changed his life. There was a transformation on that day. Lord, he said, I'm going to forget the wicked things that I did behind me in my past, even though people will remind me what a wicked sinner that I am, that I'm just going to continue to go forward. And Father, we thank you that you used such a great pillar of the church to make a difference in all of our lives. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your presence. Lord, we come just as we are. In your name we pray. Amen.